I think you all beat me there. Matthew 11, 20 through 24. Bible says, Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Let's pray. Most kind, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to uh, to expound upon it tonight. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you've given me the ability, Lord, to, to preach it as you would have it to go out, Lord. Let your spirit go out and touch the hearts of those that are here, Lord, that the church would grow closer to you. And if someone here be unsaved, Lord, we pray, Lord, your spirit would open their eyes to their need for Christ before it is everlasting too late. Be with us in our service tonight, Lord. Bless the message, Lord, and help us be in thy will. We love you and praise you for everything, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. We're going to preach a little bit tonight on the topic of rejecting God. And as we look at the scripture tonight and what Jesus is speaking here, when he talks to the people, we see two different groups that are broken down here. You see the cities, and I may be pronouncing these wrong, and if I do, overlook me. But you see the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida. These are the Israelites. They're the chosen people of God. And yet when Jesus speaks to them, he tells them, he says, Woe unto thee! For if the mighty works which were done in you, the things that they had observed Jesus done, if they had been done in Tyre or Sidon, which were Gentile nations, pagan nations, that these places would have repented long ago. And we see these two very different groups, the chosen, the Israelites, the pagans, the Gentiles, and we see the reaction to what God is doing, what Christ is doing in these areas. You see, when we look at this, we see the areas that were supposed to be God's chosen people rejecting Jesus. And we see all the way up to the crucifixion, the Jews, uh, uh, the Pharisees, rejecting Christ and what he stood for and what he was preaching. They viewed him as being a heretic. So in going against God, you see these people that were the undesirables of society, uh, the lepers and the, and the harlots and these things that were going to Christ, even though the rest of the, the Pharisees wanted nothing to do with it. They didn't want them in the temple. They didn't want them around them. They were the same as lepers. They were unclean. They were unworthy. They had no desire to be around God. You hear the are going to Christ and Christ is receiving them because of his grace and mercy. You see, the world has not changed any today. We see people rejecting God on every level that can be imagined. First off, we see the church. The church oftentimes is rejecting God. And we don't want to say it that way because it comes across as really harsh, but it is what it is. We have been called uh, to a higher calling. We have been called to follow God, not just to label ourselves as Christian or to label ourselves as, as one of Jesus's, but in our works, in our actions, we are to show Christ to others. We are to repent daily and follow after God. Luke 12:48 says, But he that knew not did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. And, and to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. 
Church, if you're here tonight, you're saved, you're born again. That means the Holy Spirit of God is inside you. It is, it is enabling you. It is, it is encouraging you. It is chastising you. It is doing all the things that we need it to do. It is just like when you have a, a car or an engine and there's crucial parts to make things work. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit is not an option. It is critical. You have to have it in order to be saved. There ain't no way around. You can't be a saved person without the Spirit of God. You cannot be successful without the Spirit of God. There's, there's no way around it. But yet, even though we have the Spirit of God, even it's being committed to us, even though the Word of God, the responsibility to carry out the Word of God and the Great Commission has been committed to us, how many times do we see people just not want that, that commitment? Yes, and, and, my, and I will say this, being a 34-year-old man, my generation is probably the worst at this because they don't like commitment. They'll attend church. They'll visit churches. They'll, they'll maybe go here or there when a church is really spiritual and on fire for the moment, but yet they never settle down and commit to serving the local church. Folks, we have seen all throughout the book of Acts, all throughout the New Testament, these local churches are there. People are members of it. They commit themselves. They, they are involved in the community. They are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. We don't see a whole lot of record of people you know, just getting saved and just sort of wandering and meandering out there uh, in, in the world. But yet we see that so often today. Uh, in every community, in every part of, of the nation, people are getting saved, and yet they're not doing what they're called to do, and that's be disciple-makers. It don't matter if you're 8 or 800. I used to say, you know, I, I hate to go too high there, but, you know, any age can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and I know this because I see my five-year-old go talk about how she wants to go to school and tell people they ought to come to church with her and wants to tell, tell them how, about Jesus and what she learns in her Sunday school class and those sort of things. And if a five-year-old can do it, then a 25 and a 35 and a 45 and an 85, 95, 105, any age can do it. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be a showy. It's just the fact that you're putting forth the effort and doing what God has called you to do. I think oftentimes about local churches. And um, so many local churches need so many things, so many offices, so many uh, roles filled. And they may be full of people, yet people are not stepping forward and filling the roles, the positions that need to be filled because they're afraid of committing themselves to what God needs commitment to. Um, I, I've, I've, been, I've preached in churches before that can't get someone to pick up the trash out of the floor. And they may run 200 people, but yet nobody wants to come back on an off day and pick up and clean and sweep. And it's sad that that's where we are, and that's how little we think of God. And you say, well, that's, you can't say they think little of God. But yet, if you're not doing what God has called you to do, how can you say you love the Lord? How can you say you're on fire for God? I mean, Jesus is very clear here when he tells them that they need to repent. And it's the same, repent, and we all, the church needs to repent. You see, the church is very guilty of criticizing the world. We hear people all the time talk about how can't believe the world is this way, can't believe people are doing that, can't believe they're allowing this to go on. But a lot of times, we need to criticize ourselves. We look on the inside. You see, the world is doing what the world does. Nothing should be shocking about this. The world is worldly. They don't have the Spirit of God. They're not possessed by this. They're going to do what makes the flesh feel good. That's the way they're programmed. There is no changing that until they're saved and born again. But yet the church were to be different. We are to be a, a, a salt in this world. We are to be a lighthouse on the hill. We are to be peculiar people. But too often the church is looking more and more like the world and not understanding why the world is not interested in the church. 
But yet, if I am part of the world, and I hear people tell me this, and it's, and I said it, I probably said it myself when I was lost. I look at the I look at Christians sometimes, and I say, well, I got as much as love as them, and I'm not saved, or or I'm just as good as they are, and, and I'm not saved. What 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 is it that they have that would mean so much if I don't see a change in their lives? But yet, that's that is reality. We cannot lead people to Christ and let we show unless we show them how committed we are to the cause of Christ. If our local church doesn't mean much to us, then it ain't going to mean a whole lot to a lost person. They don't, to them, it's a Sunday. It's a night off. Why should they get out on a Sunday night, on a cold Sunday night at that, and come to a building to be preached at, to sing songs they don't care about? Why should they worry about that if the church doesn't do it either? You see, we, we've, been, we've been called to be something else. God calls us to obedience. He does not calls, call us to carelessness. But we see that sometimes. We get careless of how we present the gospel. We get careless about how uh, uh, services take place. We get careless whether jobs even get done. We get careless about uh, uh, our local congregation. Listen, this ought to be outside of God and your family. You should love this, this place right here more than anything. Because this is your local church. This is the lighthouse in this community. God has planted this church here uh, back in the 40s to make sure that the gospel goes out to this community. It's important. It means something to God. That means it should mean something to us. We need to support it. We need to pray for it. We need to, to serve in it. We need to find ways to use it to bring the gospel message out to people. It is not God does not just reside here in this building, but yet it is a tool God has placed to be used for His glory and His glory alone. You see, too many times we neglect what God has given us. Hebrews 2, 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? God has given us something great. Don't, for, don't think that salvation is, is of works. It is not of works, but we are not... We are not saved because we work, but we are working because we are saved. It should drive us to work. It should drive us to do more. But sometimes the devil creeps in... We begin to neglect what God has given us. We say, you know, God loves me. He's grace and merciful. I'm just going to, he'll forgive me for not being there and watching the ball game. Or he'll forgive me because it's cold, cold out and I don't want to come tonight. He'll forgive me for, for not, you know, praying, not giving, not serving or whatever else he, we may be neglecting. And I say we because I've neglected things in my life too. I'm no better than anyone else here. Uh, just because my office doesn't mean I'm Superman or perfect. Uh, there's plenty of times pastors get out of bed and we say, oh man, I just don't feel good tonight. I took two time off. I left the house tonight because I had a migraine. I didn't feel great tonight. Uh, yet there's, we can't allow the devil to, to beat us down and tell us that, you know what, it's not important. Because you are important. Why are you important? You're important because God saved you. You are a child of God. You are royalty. Which means we need to not forget that and not let the devil steal that joy away from us. We need to remind the devil quite often of who we are and what God has made us into. And that we are on a whole other level than he is. You see, the devil is not anyone special. Uh, he is a fallen angel that was foolish and tried to rebel against God. Uh, he is nothing divine. He is just an aggravation is what he is. And, and we allow him to be so much more because we just allow him to. Second thing we need to think about is that when we don't repent, when we fail to repent, there are serious consequences. The Bible says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it begins at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? Folks, every single day we should look in that mirror and give ourselves a good spiritual examination. 
Um, for years, I was a hypochondriac, and I'm not real great at not being a hypochondriac now. I, it's a struggle. Um, but I used to be the world's worst. If I got a sniffle, I said, oh, I guess I'm dying. I got a sniffle. Something's bad wrong with me. Or I get an ache in my leg and say, oh, it must be leprosy. I'm coming down. I ain't got nothing I can do about it. Just give up. Um, but I would examine myself quite often physically. Uh, thankfully, I've quit doing that and got off the Internet and quit Googling health conditions and everything else. And I'm, I'm a little bit better away from that now. i got to pray about it, though, pretty often. But how much should we examine ourselves spiritually? We'll go to the doctor. We'll let that doctor tell, give us a written list of everything wrong with us. And it seems like the older we get, the longer the list gets, the longer the medication list gets. And we'll get all tore up over that list and how our health is. And that's not eternal. It's going to end. I don't care if you are a vegan and you exercise a thousand times a day and walk a hundred miles a day and do everything perfect. You're going to die someday. It ain't going to matter what you do. Now, you may extend a little bit by taking care of yourself, but eventually that health will still end for the healthiest person on earth. But what you do for the Lord is eternal. We need to realize that. And the Bible even talks about this. And we crack jokes about where it says that bodily exercise profiteth a man little. But when it comes to the scheme of things, it is true compared to the spiritual exercise that we do. Do we get in the Word of God enough? Do we pray enough? Do we witness enough? Do we visit? Do we, do we talk to people? Do we encourage people? Are we going and, and, and lifting people up? Are we finding ways to invite people to church that isn't bullying them or making them you know, beat down? Um, and that can be a challenge, but it does not change. It is a challenge that we should feel that we are apt to feel because of God working through us to do it. Um, we talk, we request prayer, and we need to pray for the people in our community that are lost and unsaved. There are so many, and I, this conversation came up multiple times today, so many good people in our community that are unsaved. By the world's standard, they would give you the shirt off their back. They would help you with anything, but yet they are lost. And they are barreling toward death, wide open, or to the return of Christ, wide open, unsaved. There's people around us, 92, 93 years old, unsaved. That's terrifying, and it should be terrifying. We should tremble at the very thought of that. And we may be the group that can reach out uh, to those people with a Christ-like love and lead them to Christ and make an eternal difference in their, in their destination if we're just obedient. But it must start with us. We talk about revivals, and we schedule revivals and do these things, but the most important part of revival is starting right here. We talk, A lot of times people use, look at revival as an evangelistic campaign, and it can be, but it has to start with the church. If the church is not revived, if we're not on fire with God, if we're not continually repenting, then you can't expect to be effective anywhere else. It's just like uh, when, when you go to work every day. If you go to work and you don't work on the skill set you use at work, how can you plan to be effective at work? At school, we do professional development all the time. Uh, all throughout the year now, they find ways to bring us in and teach us things and change things. And I know people who've been teaching for, it seems like, 80 years, and they still go and they say, man, I learned something new because the job's continually changing. We have to learn these things to do our job well. To do your job as a Christian well, you have to start here. You've got to look in that mirror. You've got to look in this Word. You've got to seek God. And it doesn't mean in a corporate prayer. That means one-on-one -on -one prayer closet time, alone with God, and say, Lord, show me my weakness. Lord, show me where I'm insignificant. Show me where I need to be better, God, and then help me be that. And He will. We have to have faith in Him. But we have to have the courage first. And sometimes He shows you things that hurts really bad. 
He'll step on your toes all the time. And he steps on mine quite often and shows me where I fall short as a pastor, fall short as an employee, fall short as a husband, as a father. And when he shows me those things, it's my job then to respond and to do better. But it's up to us to do that. You see, the refusal to repent is a true rejection of God. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you may be a child of God. But that refusal to abide in the will of God is a refusal to, to follow God. You say, as I said again, you can't say you love God if you don't follow Him. If you love Jesus, as the Bible says, you keep His commandments. That's a very, very high calling. And I find that very challenging for me. And I, and I hope you do too if you get into God's Word and know what His commandments are. Because His commandments are tough. His commandments are feed your enemy. His commandments is to love your enemy. I don't know a lot of us that do that real well. Uh, people who despise us. I, I have a, a group of students that love to... to cuss at me and such things, and it, it absolutely infuriates me when they do it, and I would love to absolutely be mean back to them, but then i got to take a step back and say, Lord, you're going to have to help me. i got to love these kids. They don't love me, but i got to love them because you've told me to do so. Um, and that's just the world that we live in. We have to do those things. Look at Christ. Christ was spit on. Christ was mocked. Christ was beaten. Christ had his flesh ripped from him, and he was hung on the cross of Calvary by people that hated him. Yet he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Those are the kind of commandments we are called to be. We are called to love the unlovable. And again, it's a challenge, but it doesn't change that we're called to do it. You see that we see throughout the Bible there is no excuse for this disobedience. We see that Paul preached in Athens in the book of Acts. And he preached there. He was there and he was dwelling and they were so involved in idolatry and worshiping false idols. He began to stand at Mars Hill and begin to preach. And they begin to mock him, and they begin to question him. They were very superstitious and very uh, worried about mysticism and all these things. And he says in Acts 17.30, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You know, a lot of people want to use that cop out, that, well, I just didn't know. And I probably use it as a kid myself. I didn't know that was whatever. But with the God, that doesn't really work. Because I think of it like this. Imagine you go to the doctor... And you're taking a serious test between life or death. And the doctor gets your results back. And he calls you to come in to go over the results. And you don't show up. You die a week later. Your family wants to sue the doctor. But the doctor tried to call you in. He tried to tell you what was wrong with you. You just refused to show up. Right here. This is the most widely sold book in the world. It's not the King James Bible. It's not copyrighted. It can be obtained on paper. It can be obtained on audio. It can be obtained on a phone, on a computer, on a tablet. Uh, we have children's versions of it. We have more modern translations of it. We have everything in the world, yet it's the most neglected book in the world, I believe. You see, God gave us everything we need to know inside these leather-bound pages. We cannot claim ignorance if we're given access to it and we simply refuse to open it. I've heard people say, well, I can't understand that thing. Then my first question is, do you attend a local church anywhere? Well, no. God gave us preachers. He gave us teachers. He gave us uh, people to serve in various capacities to explain the Word of God to us. Um, I get very amazed, and I, and I don't say it's just because she's my daughter, but we play uh, the Bible trivia games downstairs on Wednesday night when we get done with our lessons. And when she knows some of the things that I consider more of adult Bible knowledge, I am pretty shocked at what she knows. Uh, but our kids that attend Sunday school faithfully, they get that. That'll happen. It's the same thing for adults. When we attend church faithfully, 
the knowledge we obtain about the character and the expectations of God is amazing what we absorb. Especially when you have like our Wednesday nights where we have discussion and time to reflect and ask questions. Uh, and it means so much when you're discipling and growing as a Christian. And I can know when I come up here as a young Christian and we had various teachers and I would ask them questions. They were faithful to answer and to get into God's Word and show me the truth of what it meant. It grew me in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. You cannot grow if you're malnourished. And so many Christians today are simply for allowing themselves to be malnourished. Um, there's parts of the Bible, as pastor, I can read, and at first glance, I don't understand it either. i got to start reading, studying, cross-referencing, checking, digging, praying, and the Spirit of God begins to open things. But we have to do some of the work. So oftentimes we want to plead ignorance. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. How do we know what good works are if we're not in the book? You see, the world has their own definition of good works. Uh, the world's got a definition of good works that's very contrary to what the Bible says. The world approves of so many behaviors that the Bible stands very firmly against. The world is very much looking out for me, myself, and I and not worried about anyone else. The world is very much about what feels good, do it. The world is very much worried about fleshly pleasure, where the Bible is very much worried about the big picture in the kingdom. And oftentimes we miss that. When the Bible says to seek ye first the kingdom of God, he will add all things unto you. When we pray, how many times do we pray for me, myself, and I? When we look at how Jesus prayed, we look at how Paul prayed, their prayer was kingdom-centered. Their prayer was, heal them if it be thy will, but if not, save them is more important than anything. And I'm sort of adding to a little bit there, but you get with the picture there. The point is we need to go and go and make sure it is a spiritual journey and not so much just a fleshly journey. People will pray for the Corvette. They'll pray for uh, the big fancy house. But how often do they just pray for enlightenment from God? How much do they pray, Lord, just give me the opportunity to witness. Give me the opportunity to read your word. Give me time throughout my day to have quiet time alone with you. These are things we also need to be seriously praying about. Because God will bless us if we do. You see, the Bible, excuses is not a new thing. Excuses have been around since Jesus' day. And we're going to look at two parables for just a moment. The first one's in Luke chapter 14. And as you turn there, I want you to think about the people that's in your life. People that throughout the years you've talked to about church. People throughout the years that you've invited to church. People throughout the years you try to get to come to Christ. And yet, there, I've, I will say, I have only... Oh, I can't say if I've ever. Go to someone, invite them to church, and then look at me and say, no. I don't think it's ever happened. I have heard, I'll try. I've heard, I might. I have heard, we'll see. I've heard a lot of things, but I've never actually heard no. And typically, again, there is always an excuse. I haven't had a girl I invited up to prayer club last week, and it was the greatest excuse I've ever heard in my life. She said, I'll be there if nothing don't happen. And I found had her in class next period. I said, you weren't there? What happened? She said, well, I happened to hit my foot on something on the way there, and I got hurt, and I just couldn't make it. And I thought, wow, that's a new one. But she had an excuse. So Luke 14, verse 15 says, And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto them, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him 
A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they are all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. And the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed, and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said to the servant, Go out into the highway and the hedges and compel them to come into thy house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of these those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. And we look at that and, and, and we it seems almost comical to an extent because we think, well, who would deny an appointment with the master, with God? But how many people are not here tonight that could be? I'm not talking about the sick. I'm not talking about people who are unable. Typically, the first thing they would say is, I wish I could be in church. Think of how many people could be. And yet we make excuses time and time again. But yet, you notice, we never make excuses to miss a ball game. We never make an excuse to miss a party. But yet, how often do we people make excuses um, to avoid the house of God? And it's sad and it's disheartening. Um, and there's an old Southern Gospel song, and I think it's by the Kingsman Trio. I can't remember. It's called Excuses. If you have a chance, go home, listen to it. It, it, it nails this on the head. Um, but we need to be serious enough about God that we're not making excuses. And not only that, we're not accepting excuses. Because people need to know that this should be, God should be number one above anything. And not just Sunday, not just Wednesday, but seven days a week, 365, 24 hours a day, God should be number one. He is the master of the universe. He is the giver and the taker of life. He created everything around us. And the Bible says we should work out thy salvation with fear and trembling. Because we should have a reverent fear of who God is. We see again in the book of Luke, the physician, in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. We see another group of excuses people give. It says, And it came to pass, as they went in the way, a certain man said to him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds there have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said to him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Man, you preach at a lot of churches today, people go crazy over that. Um, those are very harsh words on the part of Jesus. But it's a very high calling we have been given. Well, you have been set aside. You are the elect. You are saved. You are born again. But yet we are again, a lot of times the church is the first one to have excuses that we cannot serve in whatever capacity. I'm not just talking to, but whatever capacity it could be. I see, and again, I work with teenagers and they're the kings of excuses. They can give me some of the best you've ever heard in all your life. I told a kid one time, I said, don't ever come to hearts and say that excuse because there's a tons of people that will use that on me if you do. Because it was that good of an excuse. Can't remember what it was now. But we need to make sure, folks, that these, again, God goes above our excuses. Sickness happens. Things happen and people can't make it. But yet, so many times, the ones who make the excuses, as I said, are the ones most able. Um, but yet, we again, we find things. We find other things to let the devil, and it's the devil does these things. Remember, we're not warring against each other. We're warring against dark principalities. We're warring against Satan who is creeping in and giving us uh, things to distract us from the mission. And in the end, the, the church, the local church, is on mission. 
We are to go out, the hedges and highways, and again, it's just as true to compel them to come in. Not just to compel them into our local church, but to compel them to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can't compel them by doing nothing. We only can compel them if we are busy. And as you are here now, I want you to ask yourself that question, how busy are you for God? Not how busy are you, because we can get busy with doing a lot of good worldly stuff. We can get bu- I-, I can stay busy 24-7 and never touch the ch- anything involving God if I really put forth the effort to. It takes a lot more effort to step back and say, hold on, this can wait till tomorrow. Let me pick up the phone and call so-and-so. This can wait till tomorrow. Let me go invite so-and-so to church. When they tell them they can sit with me, they can ride with me. Let me invite so-and-so out to come to dinner at my house. Let's have dinner with them. We can maybe share the gospel with them. There's so many opportunities out there. Let's make sure we're taking advantage of those opportunities. Because you see, the bottom line is, and this was a good old saying that I've heard several times in my life, but it is value for this point. The bottom line is the road to hell is paved with good intentions. There is a lot of people who have great intentions to say, well, I'll invite them out tomorrow. I'll visit tomorrow. I will call another day. I'll attend church a week from now. But yet that opportunity never comes. I've, I've seen way too many people die unexpected in a very short adulthood that I've lived to not realize that every breath is precious. I've seen more young people go to the grave. I've seen them buried unexpectedly. I've seen people who have auto accidents and whatever else along the way. I've seen people who are, are here one day and we, they have plans and all of a sudden they're gone because their time has run out. They wasted opportunities. Excuses were made and then it is too late. Folks, it happens. It's something we don't like to think about, but it happens all too often. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7, sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7 tells us, I'm over in Timothy, went too far. Chapter 1, verse 7 and 9 says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven as mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, remember that last line. They're obeying not the the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what it said about us in that first part there. It said if we neglect our salvation, what is it to say then? What shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel? This is connecting us with those that obey not the gospel. We don't do our part People don't obey the gospel and get saved. And we see here in 2 Thessalonians what happens. They're taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Folks, again, if we neglect ours, what about these lost friends, family, neighbors, loved ones that we have around us? What can we expect to happen there? It starts with us, not just the pastor. It starts with the local church. And as we edify, as we get on fire with God, as we serve, as we read more, as we pray more, we begin to reach out more. We begin to lead people to Christ more. We begin to become more passionate. Uh, the other night I was really sleepy, and I've been trying to do this read your Bible in a year thing on top of the, the church study, and I, and I got a day behind, and I had to read like 11 verses, 11 chapters in one night. They were long, and I had all excuses in my head. I'm tired. The game is on. This can wait to another day. Maybe I'll just stay a day behind and just read a little bit here and there. But then I realized, no, no, I can't do that. I set a mission. God gave me a goal, and I'm going to stick to my goal. I'm going to read my book. And I fell asleep a couple times in the middle of it. But I got up, got me something to drink, woke up a little bit, sat back, read some more, prayed some more, and I got through it. 
But what did I do? First thing I started to want to do is to make them excuses, to justify my actions. But folks, we cannot justify. There's too much in the balance here. Matthew 10, 33 said, But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. And Matthew 10, 32, going back one verse, says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. Folks, the Bible is very clear. If we deny God, He denies us. If we deny the gospel, we will not repent and place our faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot expect to go to heaven on our good looks. It ain't going to happen. People ask me all the time, They'll say, man, how did you get a pretty wife like you got? And I said, well, I guess I had cute ways at the time. I don't know how else it happened. I, I, it was just grace. It's the only thing I know. It shows, I said, it shows that God is good. Because if he'll give me a pretty wife, it shows anything is possible with God. Folks, when we deny God, when we just try to get on on works, on, on our whatever we're doing, trying to maybe just we're trying to be a good person, you're going to fall short. If we do not give God credit and place our faith in Christ and, and place our faith in the cross of Calvary that paid the price that we may be saved, hell is going to be our eternal home with eternal destruction. But folks, it does not have to be that way. The thing is, while we make excuses, while we have fault, and while we, we do things that are wrong all the time, we have a God that is patient and long-suffering. We have a God that reached out in love and while we were yet sinners sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life on earth, fulfill the law, and to go to the cross of Calvary and take our sins with Him. That even though we are the wretched sinners that we are, we have an opportunity at salvation because of who Christ was, not because of who we are. Yes, we need to serve. Yes, we need to do these things. But as I said this morning, the beauty of it all is that reset button. That we have an advocate with the Father, which is Christ Jesus. That if we're simply willing to go to Him in faith and humbly say, Lord, I am making so many excuses not to follow You, not to serve, not to be involved. Lord, help me do better. Help me be more on fire. Help me be more, more faithful to what You've had me to do. Help me use my talents for Your glory and for the upbuilding of Your kingdom. And if you're here and you're unsaved, listen, the first, the first step is salvation. It's a humbling process. But you have to come to realize that in yourself you have nothing to offer for your eternal soul. The moment I was saved, the reason I got saved is because God opened my eyes on a cold February night and I realized I was going to hell and there's nothing I could do to stop it. I was going to die at some point, maybe down the road, maybe at that moment, I was going to die and go to hell all because my refusal to go to Christ. I was all about me. I was going to do it. And I realized it wasn't a thing I could do about it. You see, Jesus Christ done it all for me. I simply had to come to, to the acknowledgement that it was about him and not about Justin Basden. And when I laid down that night, face down in the bed, and I cried out to God in faith, saying, Lord, I need you to save me because I can't do it myself. And I believe on your son, Jesus Christ, for the payment he made for me. That was all it took. I turned to him and never turned back. It's where what repent means. It doesn't mean being perfect. It means turning to Christ. I'm going from a life all about me to a life all about Christ. And that's the essential part of it all, folks. You see, the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9 through 13, and I'll close with this. 
that if thou shalt confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to ask that question. Are you willing to call upon the name of the Lord? Are you willing to simply call on him in faith? Ask Him to save you. It doesn't take any sort of special words. There is no magic spell that you can cast or whatever there is. It's simply crying out to God in faith, saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I know I've sinned. Lord, I know I stand guilty. I ask you, Lord, to save me. I believe on your Son, Jesus Christ. I'm trusting Him. Save me, Lord. A simple prayer is all that it takes. But we have to humble ourselves and be willing to do that. We're going to stand and turn to page 539. If you have a need to pray, we encourage you to come. For whatever your need may be this evening. On page 539, where he leaves me. And we'll sing the first and the last verse.